Hello, and welcome to our podcast, The Midnight Ramblings. I am Carrie Austin Rosenthal, and I am with my dear friend, Jenny Silverstein. And if you're joining us for the first time and you're wondering what all of this shenanigans is about, Jenny and I are two menopausal and therefore insomniac friends who have created a podcast about what we think about in the middle of the night. Let's get ready to ramble. Oh my gosh. Thank you. I love the new edition of let's get ready to ramble. It's just, I don't know, there's something about it. That's, that's really cool. So we have the pleasure of having a guest on our show today, on our podcast, and her name is April Sachs. April, I'm so happy that you're on today. And so Carrie and I are just going to be asking you, what is something that you lately have been thinking about in the middle of the night? Well, thank you, first of all, for having me on your show. I feel very special. Um, You are special. (laughs) But um, I'm actually a good guest to have on the show because I have been an insomniac pretty much my whole life. Well, I've gone through phases. And uh, so I'm very good at it. And um, during these times, yes, you know, it's gotten a little worse because of hormonal changes. But um, one thing I was thinking about in terms of um, what I think about is the fact that I tend to use that time while I'm awake often to escape my own thoughts, (laughs) which is maybe healthy sometimes and maybe unhealthy other times. But I tend to, especially, well, really since Trump was elected, I have gradually been filled with more and more rage I found um first just like my real disappointment in humanity and then targeting specifically members of my community who were supporters of Trump and who um gradually became more extreme in their views as I became more extreme in mine. And I found during the night, all, you know, all these years I've done this anyway, just because I want to be entertained when I'm lying there. I just slip into a world of fantasies a lot of times. And that can be of every type you can imagine. (laughs) Maybe that's what we should talk about, April, the fantasy part. (laughs) I don't necessarily want to give the graphic details, but. Well, you know what? I feel like this is actually a common thing that happens is that we have so much chaos in the daytime and so much coming at us that is overwhelming and hard to unpack that at nighttime, you know, it's like a time we can reawaken and actually have these kinds of fantasies to escape the chaos of the day. I guess that's a question I have is, are these fantasies positive and joyful? Do they take you to a beautiful place, like a nice fantasy, or do they then often get dark and like take you to a place that is? It's both. Um, You know, like sometimes I'll have regrets about silly things from like when I was younger. Um, I think it was my junior year I ran for vice president, I think. But I didn't think through my speech and wrote it the night before. And it was terrible. It was so bad that I heard people groan as I said, because it was some cliche idea of like, imagine a school in the future. So I don't even remember. And so there have been times when I've done things like come up with ideas that I could have written for that speech, which what would be the point in that? <laughs> so regrets, things that we wish that we would have done or said differently. And I can totally relate to that too. It's funny that you said you heard someone groan because regret actually means to groan again. Huh. Really? Yeah. In Latin, I think. Don't quote me on that, but I have. Well, um, I'm quoting you. You're on a podcast. <laughs> to groan again, which is kind of like what we do in the middle of the night. We just um, groan again because we're like, uh, you know, we can't. 
So. Well, it's funny because April, I don't know if you remember, but senior year I ran for president and I don't know if you remember that whole debacle, but I went up there and I essentially told the truth, which is so interesting as we talk about politics. Now I went up there and I was so earnest. I was like, there are people who feel disenfranchised and they, you know, are not involved and I want to get them involved. And my opponent, whose name I shall not say, <laughs> um, he was like, literally went up there and, and, and put me down for wanting, he's like, oh, so we're going to have an uninvolved person's club. And I mean, for years, I would talk to myself in the mirror, like what I wish I would have had the you know, the, the brain to say up on that stage to, to combat what he was saying. And I think sometimes we have these regrets because in the moments we don't have the like, the poise, I guess is the word I'm looking for to, to kind of say what we need to say. And the, then the moment passes and then we're done, but they stick with us for years and years and years. And then we, we go to the nighttime where it's quiet and, and you're kind of reliving this experience. And I think, you know, I know just, uh, you know, friends that I know or, or clients that I have this past year, well, four years or however long it's been, they have felt very silenced um, and not able to confront one another because of just the climate, the political climate. And there's been marriages that have split up over this, families, and it's become, and so you feel like kind of what you guys are saying, like on the stage where you're so earnest and all of that, like, like there's a, you, you have felt, I should say, um, silenced and that it sort of just is like um, a volcano, like at night where you're just like needing to release it. Like, I want to tell this person this thing. And then like, they can't really ever hear it, but I can hear it in my own mind. And then this banter goes on in your, in your brain. And don't worry that it's three in the morning. Um. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I was thinking in one case, um, there's a person who I was very, very close with and who we were politically aligned. And um, there was really a lot of commonality between the two of us and something happened, I think maybe due to a lot of stress she's had in her life. And, um, I, I don't know, I'm not exactly sure, but over a period of a couple of years, she went from being just like me to, she started down the, um, anti-vaccination path and started, and it all, I mean, it really became apparent that something was going on when she sent me these articles about how, um, <clears throat> excuse me, how 5G was causing the coronavirus. And my response was like, are you kidding me? Like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> you know, like that was my, like, like this is obviously nuts. And she's like, well, you know, you know, if you look at the data and blah, 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 the urban areas where there's more 5G, there's more coronavirus. I'm like, yeah, they're more populated. <laughs> I mean, like, like how, how do you, how do you argue? So did you say something to her? At that point I did. And so this was, you know, a while ago, but, but what I didn't realize is that she was gradually going down this different path. And now she's on the complete opposite side. She used to be, she used to hate Trump. She used to be a Democrat. Now she thinks Democrats are the ones mandating all the vaccinations, so she can't possibly vote for one. She um, she is believes that masks can cause harm and that you shouldn't have to wear them, and it's not, and that the coronavirus just isn't that big of a deal. That not that many people have died, you know, percentage wise, which is you know, in some sense, it's true. Except obviously, we know that it's very, very, very contagious, um, but. The loss, so so I, I was feeling this loss sort of gradually. And then, you know, sometime in November, I wrote her a letter, an email, and just was discussing how I feel like the, we've, there's this distance that's grown between us. Are you angry with me? Um, you know, we were maybe going to celebrate Thanksgiving together if, she were to, you know, we were making certain demands, like you have to be masked with people, you know, for two weeks or whatever. And she um, said at some point to my husband that she would be going, sacrificing everything she believes in to go along with what we're doing. 
So in my email, I asked, what does this mean? What do you believe in? I'm not even totally sure what you believe in. I mean, I know some of it, but so I sent this and I was like, we used to, you know, you're like, you've been one of my very best friends. So, you know, blah, blah, blah. And she did not respond. So here I was actually attempting some communication. So then you can imagine at night (laughs) what I'm thinking in my head. What do I say? You know, as each day passed and I wasn't getting a response. And now it's been like two months or something more. Um, I'm curious, like, for example, what was the conversation you wanted to have with her or that you were having with her in the middle of the night? Well, Oh, the one I wanted to have with her? Yeah, the one you wanted to have. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's not fair. I wanted to refute everything that I think she believes in, which is not nice. Right. Right. But I think this kind of like extreme thinking when, and when you almost like feel like you can't access someone anymore, like you thought you knew them and then it's like quicksand, they're like slipping, you know, somewhere else. And in your mind, you can't make sense of it. I think it's a way um, to get clarity, some kind of clarity, because I know any type of anxiety, which is kind of what I think is underlying insomnia, not to be the therapist here, but um, is, uh, you know, because we don't have the answers and um, we're confronting the unknown. Like with this girl, like it is hard to make sense of that. I've known people like that too, that have just, uh, you know, that were perfectly like in like intellectual great people and they crossed over to this other side. And it's really, it's really hard to, grapple with that and make sense of it. Well, one thing that I was thinking about, I have like 20,000 thoughts going through my head, which is probably why I'm up in the middle of the night because that just keeps happening. Um, but it's funny because I was, it, it, you're talking about that April makes me think about what it is to feel like misunderstood on either her side or your side, because there is a thing that the two of you are connecting on, right? You clearly have a connection. You, you have it may not, it may be buried. It may have changed. You both may have changed, but for a period, there was a point at which you had a real connection. And now I think both of you are feeling really misunderstood. And there is this need to feel understood, which ironically is how I felt when I, not to bring that stupid speech back up, but that's how I felt about um, that person because he was representing me to the audience, not me. Like he, he, he had given voice to something that wasn't true about me. And I, I never had the opportunity because I didn't have the poise at that time to say, wait a minute, hold everything, hold everything. This is who I am. Okay, no, I was just had this thought that, you know, like during the day, we're all on this stage, right? And we're trying to be who we are and sort of prove our point to the world or whatever. Like, and it's metaphorically, like you were on that stage in high school trying to kind of um, make your point, right? And And when you feel like you're not seen, heard, or understood, you know, when you go to bed, there's just this conflict that that's within you and you're trying to make sense of it at night. Right. And so I had this meditation teacher talk about, um, just speaking of a stage, like the people that you really want, uh, to show up for you in your life are the ones in your front row. And he always talks about who's in your front row. Yeah. Um, you guys are in the front row. (laughs) you guys are in my front row but those are the ones cheering you on they get you they understand you and you're not thinking about those people in the middle of the night because they're on your team they're in your front row but the other ones are like not even in the uh, auditorium (laughs) you know they're just like whatever they're in the other auditorium telling you know their speech to, to other people so it's all about feeling misunderstood and just you know there I think just politically there is we have to grapple with this because we're in two different auditoriums, right? Telling our, our speech, <laughs> right? And it's like, nobody's hearing each other and they have their front row. We have our front row. And it, and I think we talked about this in another podcast. I feel like, you know, it does involve some kind of conversation because there has to be some common ground. Like, like this person, even if you never have the conversation with her, you can have it in the middle of the night because I think when you do have that conversation in the middle of the night, and this is my view, um, there's a healing that takes place. Well, that's good to know that it's productive. Um, (laughs) (laughs) 
because, you know, what I've found is I'll have those conversations and then I'll be like, okay, if I'm going to actually go to sleep, I need to calm down. And this is when I go off into my fantasy life. But, um, you know, it's interesting. I, I read for my book club, we read this book called um, The Sun Does Shine. And uh, it was about this death row inmate uh, uh, named Anthony Ray Hinton, who really almost ended up being executed, even though he was completely unjustly accused of a crime. Like in the South, you know, somebody just wanted to pin it on someone. So they chose a, a, a black guy. So actually, if you saw the movie um, Just Mercy with... Yeah, um, yeah. Okay, so the part that Michael B. Jordan played was the was the lawyer, Brian Stevenson. And Brian Stevenson is the one who ended up getting this guy out of jail. Oh, wow. um, yeah, he's actually in the movie as a side character in, in jail. But one thing that he did during this, and it was horrible, like the, the conditions he described. But in addition to like communic- communicating with the inmates with, near him, which he ultimately did um, and becoming friends with them through their bars, you know, um, at whenever he had time on, to himself, he would imagine himself. I can't remember who it was that he liked. It was like Whitney Houston or something, but he would imagine himself marrying Whitney Houston and just have these whole, these whole, this whole fantasy life. And he started to tell the other inmates about what he imagined oh. and it sort of got him through these rougher times and so I kind of, and actually, it, um, not to get too far off topic here, but but like, if you ever read Viktor Frankl's- Oh yeah, that was just thinking about that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. How he would have these conversations with his wife and his head while he was in, uh, you know, concentration camp and helped him to get through. So I sort of view that as it can be good, like to sort of go off into my little fantasy life. I was just thinking about the Holocaust and- um how it did get so many people through. I must think of that movie, Life is Beautiful, how there was mm-hmm. a fantasy that was going on throughout the whole movie. I think it's like our brains, in a way, protect us. It's almost like, you know how they say you go in shock when things are too bad and your body sort of takes over. It's sort of like your brain says, you know what, I have to, I, that's too too much. And so I'm going to go here and 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 put this soft, you know, give give myself a, something soft to to cuddle up in <laughs> I guess is the right way to put it but it's interesting because I think April you were also getting to the point where you were saying sometimes you get so riled up and that is what would happen to me when I thought back to this person and I have many many things like this I can think of many times where I didn't say what I wanted to say or someone saw me in a way that I wasn't or you know I, I just I, I had this regret um and the more I would think about the conversation, the more I would get riled up, which is many times the reason why we don't have the conversation because it won't go the way you want it to go. (laughs) And I think, um, so that's why in a way these fantasies or whatever we want to call them, these midnight think thoughts can, can be pacifying, but they can also be like, you know, get you all riled up. It just sort of depends. Yeah. I was going to say, I think it's productive until it's not productive. <laughs> you know, like I think that it's important when you have these these fantasies or ramblings or whatever you want to call them that you allow them, but then you set a boundary with yourself too, you know, um, at night. And so I think it's important you, you let yourself go into that. And at some point you self-soothe and you're, you, you tell yourself, I'm not going to solve it tonight. I have awareness that this is going on for me. I know that's what I tell myself and it's, you know, oftentimes it's like the runaway train and it's like the train has left the station and it's going down the rabbit hole or whatever. And I have to kind of just go, okay, Jenny, like, you know, you're not going to solve it all tonight. And I agree with what you just said, Carrie, it's kind of like a soft place to cuddle up to like you're, you know, and then, you know, the temperature has to go down and you have to allow the body to rest, you know, and the brain to rest. Um, so in other words, I'm doing everything right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, are you actually getting to sleep after all that? Um, so what, well, what'll happen is I'll, you know, I have these conversations or arguments or in my head 
Um, then like Carrie said, I actually liked that your, you know, your brain is like, okay, that's enough. I know it knows when to stop. And then, then that's when I head into some sort of pleasant fantasy that sort of helps me drift off to sleep, you know? So I have a question about that, which is that, okay, so, so a part of what we do on this thing is to sort of unscramble what, what would be, I'm thinking about your particular predicament because I, I can only, I have situations where I've been close to people and then you're no longer close. And that's very hard. I mean, especially if you felt a real connection with them. And so the question I have is, so in the light of day, as we call it, the unscrambling in the light of day, like, what do you think you should do? Like now, you know, there's the, there's the, here's the predicament. Here's how I'm the salve on my wound, which is this sort of thinking through what I might have said or could say to this person and then there is like, what should you do? Well, it's interesting because there's a part of me that wonders whether someday she'll come back because I sort of feel like she's been, you know, sort of indoctrinated into a cult. Mm-hmm. And um, a good friend of mine had a um, falling out with her sister and she gave me some advice, which was to say, you know, to maybe reach out because my, well, the the email that I wrote has two problems with it. One was that it was a little bit disingenuous mm-hmm. because it, I was saying, are you angry with me? What is wrong? Mm-hmm. When all yeah. along I've seen it, the distance developing It acted, I was at, acting as though I were naive and like suddenly something right. was wrong. So that part of it wasn't good. The other part was that I said, please tell me what's wrong and tell me what you believe it was making some demands of her. Mm -hmm. And obviously she did not want to reply to that or to delve into those ideas with me. And I think most likely she got angry. I I don't know. I don't know. Um, But I, um, my friend said, you know, one thing you can do is kind of at some point, just send an email or a note that says something like, kind of just expresses that I miss her or I hope she's well or, or something that just wishes her well to kind of leave us on good footing so that if someday she comes back to her normal self, I'm, I'm calling her like, this is the 2.0 when she comes back to her original. <laughs> I don't, and maybe she won't, but at least it opens the door. But I'm feeling too raw still to be able to do that. I'm still angry and I'm still like, I'm just not in a place where I can do that. I'm hoping that ultimately, you know, we have had no communication since that time, since that email. And I'm hoping that at some point I'll just be more at peace with it and be able to do something like that. Well, I think when we have kind of any severance in a, in, in a relationship or, um, wounding, you know, we are going through the stages of loss. We are in that kind of denial, anger, bargaining, depression. Um, and then we always want to move toward acceptance and then hope, right? And But we can't rush it. And I think that I know for myself, like when I've had something like that happen, yeah, I mean, when it's too close to me, I, I don't, I'm not ready to confront it. I'm not um, ready to, you know, send the, I wish you well letter yet, (laughs) you know, but, but, you know, you can meditate about that. You can start meditating or even at night. I mean, I like to call it meditation, like before you go to sleep, you know, um, but I didn't come up with it. (laughs) This, this meditation teacher I had did, so I can't take credit for it, but I, but, um, you know, just to kind of, you know, and it's really a meditation about gratitude and appreciation of like, what about her have you appreciated or can you have gratitude for, or what about your own life can and that relationship that was, and it's a letting go. It's a letting go because you can't control another person's mindset. And I've had to realize that in my own life. Um, and it's one of the hardest things because it's so like you can feel it. It's like visceral in your body when you want someone to not be that way. You know, you're like, no, come over to my auditorium. It's like much better <laughs> over here. You know, and they're like, 
no. And then, you know, I see this like with couples in my practice where they have two completely different narratives going on. And it's like, wait a minute, how is it that you live in the same house, you sleep in the same bed, you have the same kids and like you're on Mars and I don't really use Mars and Venus, but like, <laughs> you're like two completely different like world yeah. planets, right? <laughs> um, and, and it's so hard to just accept someone's views like that because you're like, it makes no sense because your narrative is like, makes perfect sense. Right. And so it's, it's hard to grapple with that. I was, well, was the, the issue for me is the, what's even harder is the abrupt change. You know, it's like we were, I haven't changed, you know, like, I mean, maybe I've become slightly more extreme in my views, but not, not much, honestly. Um, she's the one who's completely done a 180. And so that is hard to accept. And the, I mean, the only thing I can, I've never had a friendship end like this before, you know, friendships have sort of faded. Um, but there's never, it, it feels like a breakup with like a romantic partner, you know, like it, it's because I guess it's that abrupt. You have all, you know, we had years of this time where we were just really on so much on the same page and so close. And then all of a sudden she had an affair. <laughs> or something I mean like it's it's kind of like that where she just she doesn't want to be with me anymore that's that's so hurtful you had said something earlier about how you were so hurt and it was so you were so raw right now and I was wondering are you hurt at the abrupt loss as you had just said or are you uh, hurt because you are having trouble accepting her the way she thinks or both both I guess um yeah the change the change in her, the, the fact that we are no longer aligned. We used to, you know, ethically have the same ideas. Now I, I can't, I just, I can't wrap my head around. I, and I, I, I don't know whether it's her way of dealing with anxiety and, you know, fear, yeah. like having to sort of deny it all and, and not come to grips with it. And maybe that's why. And maybe once things settle down with the pandemic, She'll start to, I mean, I can't imagine it'll be sudden norm, normalization of what I refer to as normalization, but. Well, it's yeah. funny because I have two thoughts about that. One is, and I, I think I said it in some other podcast about the idea that some therapist said to me, what if it's true? What if it's true that this is, is who she is? She's not coming back. She, this is how she feels. This is how she's dealing with these things. Are there, I guess there's two questions I have for you. One is, are there other things you guys have in common that, it's worth saving that that part of the relationship and the other stuff you just kind of don't talk about, but like, you know, whether it's family or children or you guys make each other laugh, so maybe. It okay. Happen. Well, first of all, we kind of don't have a choice um, after the, yeah. Okay. After, I mean, we are involved. Our lives are intertwined in a certain way. Um, but like I have difficulty at this point, in just sort of thinking, oh, we can have this superficial, oh, you know, fun kind of relationship. Mm -hmm. um, ultimately, you know, like as Jenny mentioned, the stages of grief, you know, once I pass through all that and I get to a point of acceptance or maybe just, I mean, I don't mean to be mean about this, but indifference in a sense, um, then I can, I can accept that and just be have a, a more shallow relationship. It's just the loss that's the problem of what used to be. You know, that's that's the part that kills and me. I, I believe me, and I that is incredibly painful. But the thing that I keep thinking about, it's funny, I keep thinking about my husband has this lamp, this really, well, I used to think it was a really, really ugly lamp. And when we were dating, we went into a thrift shop and he's like, oh my God, I need this lamp, I need this lamp. And I was like, what on earth? are you going to fucking do with that lamp? That is the ugliest goddamn lamp I've ever seen in my life. And he said, Carrie, and it's like this rusty blue, like it almost looks like a lantern. And I was like, what on earth? Like, I don't, I don't see it. I just don't see it. And he's, and I was like, oh my God, our house, when we, if we ever get married, will be filled with junk like this. Oh my God. I am totally opposed. And then he's like, I said, can you just explain to me what it is about this lamp that you find remotely interesting? And he was like, I find that it reminds me of crickets and camp 
and like being outside in summer. And suddenly I was like, oh my God, I see that too. And not that you'll ever see things the way your friend does, but I think you were kind of onto something when you were saying why she might be doing this and understanding that part of it. Like, it, is she doing it because that's, you love her clearly or have loved her. And does she, is, is there in some way like that you have um, a sense of, uh, understanding of like, okay, well, this is how she gets through that. And I don't want her to be in pain. And though I don't agree with how she's getting through it, I, I can understand that we all need things to get, to get through life. And that's how, like, you may not agree that someone gets really religious all of a sudden, for example, but that's how they're dealing with the fact that they suddenly have an illness. I'm making this up. Right. But, you know, and I know you to be such a compassionate and a person who really is accepting of different people's views. So you know, I'm wondering if there isn't something in there for you. Yes. I mean, I I've tried, and that, that is actually what I've tried to do in order to accept what's going on is to sort of understand the psychology beneath it. I recognize that there are, she had certain stressful traumatic incidences in recent years that may have led to some sort of, I mean, I wouldn't say it's not like a breakdown, but but some change, you know, and, and, and also, well, the other part of it is I think that she was feeling isolated um, for a long time and that now she's found a community mm-hmm. and, yeah. Yeah. and community is so important. And I, and I get that part of it. I just don't how this, like the way she thinks would jive with this particular, like it's like an evangelical Christian community. Um, so, um, I, but yes, that is, that, that is where I go when I try to, um, to get myself to feel better about it (laughs) is to try, try to feel some compassion. And I think that that is like Carrie, that was really, you know, great. You brought that up with the lamp and just getting, um, you know, when I see like a couple or, you know, anyone who are on two different sides, um, who have really are, are putting each other in a box, you know, when they start to talk about why things happen the way they happen, there's, there's a healing in that because you like, like your friend may, you know, like you said, had a traumatic events or she need, needed a sense of community. She, when we can hear that, and it, it's just reminding me of this situation I had years ago, it was basically a, a, a someone, a client many years ago that had told me that he had committed a past crime. And you're not allowed to report past crimes. And when you're talking about the person wrongly accused in that book you were reading, it reminded me of it too. Um, And the paper I wrote was called The Princess Dragon because when he told me that he had done this thing, I was like, oh my God, you know, he's killed someone. And then he told me his background and his childhood and why he had done it. And I was literally almost in tears by the end of it, because I was like, well, how could he not have done it? (laughs) You know, in a way, because of what he had seen and what was done to him. And he was, anyways, it was, there was a lot of things about it that led him to that point. Right. And my whole viewpoint shifted um, in that I had this understanding of why he did it. Um, now I could never condone that or, or it's like a horrible, horrible thing he did. Mm-hmm. Um, but the compassion I did have, um, because, but he still did it. Right. So, so then how do you make sense of that? Just like, how do you make sense of the friend that was ethically aligned with you? And then all of a sudden went to another planet. Right. And now, you know, you can't access her you know, in the same way that he became a murderer, you know, and, and, and yet he was an abused, terribly abused child seeing things done to him. So I think that there's never black and white. There's always that gray that we have to get in. And this is the gray that comes up into the middle of the night where we're trying to make sense of something that we cannot quite understand. And it takes a lot of inquiry into the reasons behind the reasons behind the reasons. And we start to then slowly get more clarity over time. I mean, I think these things take time and I know I've had experiences like when you talked about it as a breakup 
or just someone having an affair, I can totally relate to that because you just want it back. You're like, I want that time back when we were like great together. Right. And now, now it's different and you see me differently. And like, I want to just press rewind and go back in time. But the thing is, is that we can't do that. And people come up with their own story about each other and about what happened and you can't erase it. You can't go back. Um, and I talk to people so much about this and, and, and about that, like you said, regret. But oh, one thing I do want to say, yeah. <laughs> Carrie, is um, I was thinking about your um, situation, and I know we've talked about this, but about with your um, running for president and <laughs> the opponent. And uh, it makes me sad that you're still upset about it. <laughs> Just because your opponent, I really don't think he was... I, he was playing the game. He's like the consummate politician, probably to this day. Mm-hmm. And I do have this <laughs> recollection of him going into the student lounge and going up to a black student and saying, you know, I really want the black vote. And he was saying <laughs> it ironically, but uh, they thought it was funny. The the people, you know, the people surrounding this guy he was talking to and there, I think they were impressed and they, for him. <laughs> I don't know. but um anyway well, and, and I gave him a talking to also like after after uh and that's the thing I think there's people that play the game that say mm-hmm. things that you want to hear and it's not authentic and like you said your email to your friend you felt like it you weren't there yet you couldn't get beneath it so you were like what happened how did this you know how are you and you were talking like on that surface level and, and I think we all do that as a defense against what's true for us and that we're really sad about the loss and about wanting to go back in time and wanting to recreate, you know, that relationship. And I think it's easier to play the game. It's easier to be the politician that lies. And, and, we, and, and look how many people follow, <laughs> you know? I mean, you know, we've seen it with so many different dictators, you know, that people want to follow someone like that. And when you're authentic and, and earnest, like Carrie was, like, how many, do we have followers? Is it the same? Do we, you know, kind of put on that act or what, you know, but I think when the, when the dust falls um, and we wake up in the middle of the night, that's what we have to answer to is, you know, um, and it's like the three gates that I, that I tell my kids about, like, about what you say you know, um, you have to walk through the three gates, you know, is it true? Is it kind? And is it necessary? You know, and, you know, politicians play the game. They don't care if it's true, kind or necessary. They just want to win. And I think that people who follow politicians like that don't think about that either. They just want to be loved. They want to be included. They want to be part of the community. What I was going to say, though, is that I also think in those cases, like this person, April, that you're talking about, I'm, I'm feeling like they don't have a choice in the matter. I think that there is something sort of uh, the word, Jenny, that you used was necessary. I think it may, in fact, be necessary for them to go this path right now. And what I would ask you is because especially because you said you're intertwined with this person, there, there's no like getting away from the fact that you guys are going to be in each other's lives, it sounds like. So if that's true, then the question is, not on a superficial level. It's funny, I remember a therapist once saying to me, you have to know who your A-list is, your B-list, and then like, you have 20 million kinds of friends. And your A-list is the person that you can be 100% authentic with. And That's she your front was, row. Yeah, your front row. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she was in your front row. But now it sounds like she- Now made, she's in the bathroom. Now she's <laughs> in the bathroom. And the question is, you know, can you bond over shitting on the toilet? <laughs> like, <laughs> right. I don't mean inauthentically. I mean, there is some joy in that. And so, <laughs> so. Oh my God, Carrie, didn't you write a play that I always think of it when I'm in a bathroom stall? <laughs> I mean, everyone has to go to the bathroom, right? Um, I think that, I mean, I think that that's what I'm ultimately going to have to do, you know, yeah. and just... Um, and like I said, it's just, I mean, part of it is time and, you know, even. And disappointment. You're clearly disappointed. Yeah. It? Yeah. Um, 
but it is, you know, it, the distance has grown. Well, partly just because we have, we haven't been in touch, you know, and, and the pandemic has facilitated that because we don't get out at all. So, um, and we certainly aren't going to, you know, I, I'm, you know, I get together with friends outside and, you know, despite the fact that it's 20 degrees outside, we go for walks or whatever, but that, that is not happening. None of that. The distance and time has made things a little bit, has mellowed out a little bit, but um, I don't know what will happen the next time we are in the same place at the same time and how it will be. What would you want to happen? Oh, well, I mean, what I want to happen won't happen. Okay. Realistically. I, I had a client many years ago who, who had this issue with her mom and she also had an issue with her, um, her brother's wife. And, and the issue with the mom was that the mom was ultra religious and she was not religious and, and she would always quote things from the Bible and whatever. And she, she just, she loved her mom, but she couldn't take it. Right. And so when they got into the same room together, it was like, oh my God. And she just said, how do I get through this? So we, we talked about it and I said, you know, you have to just find some kind of um, mantra or some kind of humor in this if you want to have a relationship with her. So, so she came up with every time she would enter the door to her parents' house, she's like, I'm entering Lordland, you know, mm-hmm. and it was like, I'm entering Lordland. And, and, and she would laugh to herself because we had had this whole conversation um, and it, it totally helped. She said, I, I went in and it was like, she knew the limitation. There was no surprises. There was no, um, expectations because when her mother quoted the Bible, she's like, there we go, Lord land. And then she would yeah. leave and she'd go, I'm leaving Lord land. I'm now I'm free or whatever, you know, because it was a very extreme environment to go into. What it is, is really, um, putting something in its place in your mind, of, of what limitation that person or thing or place has and, and that you can't get beyond it. Yeah. It's almost like turning it into a game. You know, like when you, when you're watching a show, like pe- people do that thing where when some person says something in particular, you drink or whatever, you can <laughs> kind of turn like yeah. when yeah. the expectation comes true instead of drinking or, or you could drink, I suppose. Um, but you just, kind of have to laugh because they're meeting your expectation. You know, they're doing exactly what you expected them to do. That's right. It's true. And while I relate to that, I also have to say that I have this other experience where I know someone in my life who, even though I feel like I used to say of this person that they had, um, they, they had a limited capacity and I finally sort of came to that conclusion. And I was like, they're limited. This is what they're capable of. Do it in my head. But I mean, even still to this day, it's disappointing and it hurts me. And I wish it were like use it when I asked you, April, what would you like to have happen? And you said, well, what I'd like to have happen isn't going to happen. You can know that and have it in its place as you're talking about Jenny and have it be funny and have whatever. But it doesn't mean that there's not a part of you that isn't that broken, that that hasn't experienced that loss. And part of that well, is mourning that loss and and, and accepting that that's there and then saying, okay, it's not the, they're not in the front row anymore. We are now in outer space yeah. together. <laughs> or the bathroom stall, whatever, whatever it's going to go. In a way, we're just having good old shits together. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's about it. Well, yeah, I, I, I think that's a good way of looking at it and, and not to say that it's not disappointing and it's not breaking you, but that this is life and that everybody's going to sort of see things differently. And maybe April, what do you feel like from this conversation? Um, well, I, I guess I'm feeling a little bit better about my escapism. At night. <laughs> and, uh, it will just, I, you know, it, it's funny cause it's kind of like, it's like daydreaming, but I guess you could call it like waking dreaming or something, um, that it, that it, can be productive. And even the things that I thought of as negative, like that when I get riled up and have these conversations in my head, that maybe just the fact that I'm, because I haven't been able to have these conversations, I haven't had a voice that it can actually help to process my feelings and thoughts about it. Um, I do like the idea of kind of turning future meetings together into a game um, because there's this part of me that's resistant to playing a game and thinking, I want to be myself. I want to be sincere and genuine. 
but maybe I can be just on a different level, you know, and that's just maybe what I have to do. And maybe someday down the line, something will change. But for now, I know it's not going to happen overnight. So I just have to accept what's what it is. Right. I think if you can come to some sort of acceptance and operate from a different level, um, because I love this quote, you can't fix a problem at the level it was created. You have to go to a different level to understand it, not only to understand it, but to, to heal from it, you know, and that if you can look at with empathy and compassion, the other person's point of view, you can let go and then you can move on, you know, to your other auditorium where everybody understands you. It's funny, her being up in the middle of the night did several things. It allowed her to have the voice because she felt sort of misrepresented and, you know, it allowed her to say what she needed to say and be authentic to herself. It allowed her to process in some ways it hasn't yet, but it is put her on the path to mourning the old relationship. And then ideally it will help her get to the new auditorium or the new bathroom or wherever the heck they're going together, because it sounds like they're going to go somewhere together. And so that is really the value of that processing alone is it allows you to, to grow and right. really get where you need to go. I do think that every person that you meet in your life is a teacher. You know, that doesn't mean they're going to be in your life. They could be in your life for five minutes. They could be in your life for 20 years. And when it's time for them to leave your life and they really want to leave your life and there's nothing you can do about it, you have no choice but to let go and ask yourself, what have I learned from this experience? And if you're still going to see that person, you do have to set a boundary and protect yourself. Do you have any sort of parting words for us, Dave? I guess compassion is key here. And that's what I have to be able to find a little bit more of. I mean, it's it's there, but it gets blocked by all the the noise in my head and the anger and hurt that I feel. So I think that uh, this was helpful in kind of talking it through and hoping that ultimately... I'll find a spot that's comfortable for for both of us and, and concentrate on my front row. <laughs> so we have one more little bit, but we do have a bit of an audio problem. So we're just going to ask you to bear with us. April's going to sound a little funky, but she's still April. Before we say goodbye, um, Jenny and I have what we like to call our hot flash round of questions that we would like to ask you. So are you ready? Yeah, it sounds very appropriate. <laughs> It's very appropriate. Okay. So <laughs> if you had to pick one of these two things, which would you pick? Sex or no sex? Oh, God. <laughs> you don't even know anymore. <laughs> exactly. It's not an easy question. I guess I would choose sex. If you had to describe your approach to middle age, what would it be? Would it be to let nature take its course or to color, inject, cut as necessary? Uh, well, I would say let take nature take its course, but I have to admit I've been hennaing my hair. <laughs> but, okay, so that's yeah. what okay. I mean, to me, all those Hollywood people look freakish. Okay. So. so, if you had to pick between puberty and menopause, which would you prefer? That is a terrible choice. <laughs> it is a terrible choice, but you have to pick one. I guess I would pick menopause. Really? Um, well, I'm just thinking of all the angst. Um, if you're talking about physical changes, I'm fine. I'd, I'd choose puberty. Um, but psychologically, I feel like I'm in a better place than I was when I was 13. Okay. Screens or no screens, if you had to pick one? Oh, you mean for the world? For the world, for yourself, for your children, just in general. Like, remember, this is the hot flash well, round. If, all right, no screens. Well, it's tough because, you know, the whole world is on a screen, so to not have a screen makes you completely out of touch. So in that sense, you know, if if I were to choose, can the whole world be off screens? Can the whole world be off social media? I want them all off. What is the best thing about insomnia? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a huge fan, but okay, I guess good. it does. Uh, it is time to myself that I otherwise I don't like necessarily that. have. Okay, and what's the worst thing about insomnia? The way I feel as I'm walking around the next day. 
Okay, I like that too. Okay, and what is the best thing about having kids? You could say the best oh. thing about either having or not having kids, whichever you feel like. I mean, I I always knew I wanted to have kids. I'm glad I had kids. It was the right choice for me. I just love watching them grow and getting to know them better and become closer and closer with them as they grow. What is the most okay. surprising thing about middle age? The most surprising thing is that I'm actually in it. Somebody <laughs> referred to themselves as, they said something about, a friend of mine was talking about her parents and how they were so sick and old, and she said, I'll t- I tell you, middle age is no fun. And I thought she was referring to her parents because I didn't grasp the fact that we were middle age. This was like two years ago. Yep. Yeah, I had no idea I was middle-aged until two years ago, and she (laughs) referred to us as middle-aged. What is the best thing about middle-aged? I feel like a lot of the concerns and worries I used to have about social life and um, career have fallen away a lot. I feel like a, a lot of, also being a parent, I feel like that has been an accomplishment on its own Mm -hmm. and that whatever I choose to do now is kind of a follow-up to everything else. Yeah. And that I no longer have to, I guess I feel less worried all the time about, and, and could be fine with being a homebody or not, or. Right. It's a hard question. Actually, I think I'm loving all of your answers actually, April. So you should feel very good about them. If you had to pick any word, a cuss word, or otherwise to describe middle age, one word, what would it be? I think it would be a question, and it would be me? <laughs> um, well, anyway, I just want to say thank you so much for joining us, April. I, You know I love you dearly. I know Jenny does too. Thank you, April. I'm so happy you're on today. I feel so honored to have been part of it. It was great. It was really fun. Oh, good. Well, you'll have to do it again. And for Midnight Ramblings, this is Carrie Ofstein Rosenthal and Jenny Silverstein. And we thank you for joining us. Signing off. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.